We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. We welcome your ears. It's not something that has to be sneaked around. You know, those are the sorts of things that make kids be more curious. You're hiding something from me. I want to know more. Right. So how do you not hide it? And how do you create new dialogue around it? What's the vocabulary that we use? All of those things are relationship oriented where you have the trust component that is one of the bigger pieces of the foundation. And those are the people that you can change their mind. If you trust someone and they introduce a new idea or new concept, you're way more open to hearing it. You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 147, The Undefinable Spirit, Getting Casually Baked with Joanna Nuding. Come on in, have a seat. Join the conversation. Since I first contacted today's guest a couple of weeks ago, both Harry and I have been looking forward to talking with fellow podcaster and cannabis connoisseur, Joanna Nuding. Joe, as she's commonly known as, was born on a ranch in western Texas, currently living and working in Oakland, California. She's an entrepreneur, cannabis expert, and educator, and host of the weekly produced Casually Baked podcast with a T, you heard it correctly, which has been running on a weekly basis since debuting on May 10th, 2017, exactly two months before this podcast was launched. Educated and trained as a broadcast journalist with 20 years of experience, building brands and customer engagement in professional sports, media, real estate, concert, and lifestyle tours. Joanna has served the cannabis industry for over five years, having produced 177 episodes to date on the Casually Baked podcast, her self-proclaimed edutainment soapbox, where she showcases the expanding landscape and research and science of contemporary cannabis. The Casually Baked podcast focuses on the responsible side of plant medicine through Joanna's open conversations with cannabis scientists, researchers, heritage farmers, military veterans, and so on, building the developing legal cannabis and hemp industries in North America. Today, we have her on the other side of the mic. Hi, Joe. Welcome to the Sill Podcast. Hi, Joe. Peter, Harry, hi. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm happy to be here. Before we dive into your present work and life quest, tell us about your decision to switch careers, a little bit about your former life, and how you ended up spending 16 months of your life in Bologna, Italy. Oh, wow. So I had made a decision back in 2010 that I wanted to simplify my life. And it started as just a New Year's resolution that every single day I was going to do one small thing to clean up and declutter my life. Maybe that was cleaning out a drawer or cleaning out a closet, but it was something that I just felt like I was overstimulated. I was going in too many directions. Mm. So by the time 2012 rolled around, I had rented out my 2,000-square-foot house. I had moved into a 700-square-foot condo in downtown Austin, and I was walking to work and not driving my car as much, and my pets had passed away. And so I was just a one-woman show, and I worked about 60 hours a week, and my social calendar was overflowing, and I just felt like pulling the ripcord on my life. I was just like, I'm overwhelmed. I'm exhausted. And I've taken all of these steps to simplify things, but it's still happening. Mm -hmm. So I hired a career coach and I went in and I told her, I want to pitch to my boss a trial work abroad program. I feel like if I could just get out of town for three months, put myself in another setting, experience a different culture, that it might revive me. And so I went through this process with her where I built out my plan and I would go in and pitch it to her and let her poke holes in it. 
And when I felt confident enough, I went to my boss and I pitched the idea. And after a month or two of kind of being ignored and put to the back burner, his daughter had had an accident in her car and it had been in the shop and he had asked me to take him to pick it up. So I had him trapped in my car for 45 minutes. <laughs> and I felt like, okay, this is the perfect opportunity. So I pitched my idea again. And he asked me if I would be willing to just go for a month. And mm. I told him in European countries, that's actually considered a holiday. And so no, I'm like, you can't figure out if something is going to work in that short of a time period. So I went home that evening and I bought a one-way ticket to Bologna, Italy, and I went back to work the next day and I gave him a two-month notice. I told him I would find my replacement, train them, and everything would be smooth sailing for him and I would be off on the adventure of a lifetime. And why did you choose mm -hmm. Italy, Joe? Well, originally I had thought maybe I'd go to London. I had friends there. I love the UK. But I would have bled out of money so quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and so I thought, okay, what's another destination that I've always wanted to go to and that I would feel confident being there alone? And there was just something in me that said, Italians would love a Texas girl and you'll be <laughs> fine. They'll adopt you. They'll love you. And you're going to have a great time. And so then it was just where in Italy would I call home. And upon examination, I learned that Bologna was known as La Grassa, the fat one. And it was the foodie capital of Italy. And I thought, I'm not a great cook. Why don't I go to Italy? Let's settle down in Bologna. Let's learn to cook amazing Italian food and just learn the art of doing nothing and just reboot. Wow. wow. How would you describe your 16 months in Bologna, Italy? It was the best gift I've ever given myself. Mm, that's cool. Let's roll the tape back a little bit more. Now, I've just aged myself by saying tape, but let's roll the <laughs> tape back a little more. Your life began on a ranch in West Texas as one of five sisters. How would you describe your childhood and the kind of impact your parents had on your character, your work choices, and ultimately your decision to pursue your current ambitions? Oh, goodness. So I typically describe my childhood as an all-female Brady Bunch. <laughs> and so my dad had three girls. My stepmom had two girls. And when they married, we were two three-year-olds, a five-year-old, a six-year-old, and a nine-year-old. And overnight, I had a house full of sisters. And one of them was my age. And so I was raised like a twin with someone who was tall and skinny. And it was like Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger style <laughs> twins. Like I'm this like short, pudgy little thing. And people were constantly confused because we were dressed alike. Like, mm. how did this happen? <laughs> so we lived on a ranch. We didn't have brothers. And so we got put to work at a really early age. And we played sports. We were basketball players. And together, we had an entire team. When I was a freshman in high school, we're playing in the state basketball tournament. And at one point, four out of the five players on the court were sisters. So I had a lot of really fun moments like that being in a big family. Now, I will say that both my stepmom and my father were raised in military households. So sometimes people swing to the opposite side of the pendulum on those things, but my parents didn't. So things were very regimented and organized, and you set your clothes out before school the next day, and the alarm set. You get up, you do your things, you do your chores, you have breakfast. I would say that at the time, I really felt like I didn't have my autonomy. Like I did what my sisters did. I was the youngest. I wore hand-me-down clothes. Mm -hmm. My sisters played the clarinet. We have a clarinet, Joanna. You're playing the clarinet. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and definitely and no so, casual baking going on in that house. <laughs> no, no, absolutely <laughs> not. So I think from all of that, 
once I got out on my own, it really enhanced my creativity. It had me excited to be an individual. But I also had the skill set of being extremely disciplined, mm. being able to fix things, take charge, be a leader. And I was a point guard for the basketball team. And I just naturally had a big voice. And I think an easy way for me to transition into being a creative and a journalist in college, played basketball and was a journalist at Midwestern State University. So I was always playing with the skills that I had learned at home, but I was awfully brave for a little one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You make up for things in different ways, right? Yeah. One of the earliest mantras I taught myself was jump and the net will appear. I always knew that I wasn't going to be homeless. I would always have somebody to help take care of me. I could go home and be at the ranch. Like I had that luxury. So I was always willing to take a chance. I wasn't a huge risk taker, so to speak, driving too fast or doing dumb shit. But I was willing to take calculated leaps of faith. And Mm -hmm. I didn't even try cannabis until after I quit playing college sports. It was just one of those things. I'm like, I'm going to be a rule follower. And then, of course, when I did start using cannabis, it was something that, again, I microdosed. I did it responsibly and slowly. So all of those things I equate to my life out on a ranch. Right. And I should let you know before I ask you my next question that Harry and I, in anticipation of this podcast, And because we, well, specifically me, Harry had smoked a little bit a year or two ago, but I hadn't touched it for 15, 20 years. And in the spirit of this podcast, Harry went to the local retail outlet and (laughs) we purchased a couple of doobies and we only used one tenth of one doobie. You know, we literally took (laughs) one, we literally took one toke each. And it reminded me so much of my youth because I never had a negative experience. Of course, I was never a big drug user either. In fact, marijuana and hashish was the only drug that I'd ever even tried. So it was very infrequent. But when I did, I enjoyed it. And it was really pleasant. And we wanted to do that just so that we could kind of have a little recall and give it a little bit more credibility to this podcast. I'm so happy y'all did that. That's really fun. Well, it was more than fun. (laughs) It was a guess. Uh, I learned also, which is what you focus on, more about the medical side. I was impressed with the packaging. I was impressed with the process that Harry described to me when he went into the store, how professional they handled it and asked the right questions. Mm -hmm. And Harry will remember the contents. Do you remember the two? Well, it was a hybrid. The Grower's Choice, I think, was the company. It was so a hybrid of Indica and Sativa. Indica yeah. and sativa. Yeah. So tell me, what was the THC percentage it, on the flower? I, boy, that's a good question. Something like twenty-two point two two. Is that does that make that's sense? That's pretty high it, for it, somebody who hasn't smoked in a while. It was so a bit I high. can imagine you only took a couple of puffs. One yeah, puff. One t- puff each. I took one toke and I took a deep toke. I should have taken a, a lighter <laughs> inhale because I was uh, quite baked within five minutes. But Oh, uh, yes, I'm sure. And that's one of the things that I teach people a lot is this idea that they think, okay, well, I need to get more bang for my buck, so mm-hmm. I'll get a higher THC percentage. But if you haven't smoked in a really long time or you want to microdose, finding a cannabis strain that has 15 to 18% THC right. for someone like you would probably be right up your alley. Right. Right. This is exactly one of the reasons why I reached out to you, because I think education in general, no matter what the topic, it's so important for people to be informed, to get rid of a lot of the myths and to just expand their thinking, which leads me to the next question. I called you a few weeks ago after accidentally stumbling onto your podcast on Spotify before deciding to reach out to you to guest on this show. So here you are with an impressive 177 casually baked episodes and more projects on your plate, which we'll get into during the rest of this interview. What prompted you to even begin the casually baked podcast with a T podcast? So when I moved to California... The thing that I'd gotten out of that trip to Italy was that I wanted to come home and get paid to be myself. Mm. Cannabis had been my co-pilot for 20 years, and it helped me do my work 
as a creative in just a smoother, more fun and easy and flowing manner. Yet I was constantly having to hide it. And I knew that in order for me to feel like I was living the life I wanted to live, I needed to get paid to be Joe. Mm-hmm. And for me, that meant I needed to move to a cannabis legal state. And Sonoma County was the closest thing to Italy I could find in the U.S. So I bought a car and packed it to the gills and went out driving west and landed on someone's couch and trimmed pot for a few months while I got the lay of the land and found a place to live and a job and all of those important things. And while I was examining the California cannabis culture, the thing that was a real glaring hole in the market was education. And I felt like I was noticing that as an outsider coming from Texas, not understanding everything about cannabis besides that it was beneficial for me. Mm -hmm. And there was just so much to know and understand if you wanted to use it in a meaningful way. So I set out to create what became the Cannabis Class Kit. And it was ultimately me just compiling all of the resources that I needed to properly understand cannabis and use it in a wellness format, something that would just highlight the things that I was already doing in my life. And so as I did that, I named myself a Cannabis Lifestyle Guide. There's nothing better than getting paid to be yourself if you make up your own title. Right. Mm -hmm. So I started helping people onboard into medical cannabis. So someone who maybe had just been diagnosed with breast cancer and the doctor says, cannabis might be your friend right now during chemotherapy, but I can't talk to you about it and I don't really know much about it. So helping those people get a medical card, hold their hand through the shopping experience, and get them comfortable. The issue with that for me, though, was living in the Bay Area, you're in your car a lot. You can't really have very many meaningful connections in one day. Mm -hmm. And there was just something, the same voice that told me to simplify my life and the same voice that told me to get paid to be myself tapped me on the shoulder and reminded me that I had a degree in broadcast journalism and that I should probably use it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's how the podcast was born. Now, Joe, you weren't satisfied with only one podcast, it appears. You also started another one called Love, Mary Jane. And why did you decide to create that podcast? And what sorts of insights have come out of exploring cannabis in the context of relationships, for example? Oh, gosh. So Love, Mary Jane is my guilty pleasure. (laughs) So while I have been creating the podcast and building Casually Baked as a lifestyle brand, I had to continue to freelance to keep a roof over my head in the most expensive place in the world. And so for three years, I was the voice of the CEO of an international matchmaking firm. And I wrote a blog every week. I did all of their social media for the company and for the CEO. So my entire life for three years, I would have a relationship hat on and then I would take it off and then I would put my cannabis hat on and I would just see the correlations and the way that these two things kept intersecting. And I just thought somebody needs to talk about this stuff. And I love talking about this stuff. So I created Love, Mary Jane. But the only problem was that it ended up being like a third job I had just given myself. So it becomes something that I record an episode when I'm inspired or when somebody has asked me a question that is just too good not to stop what I'm doing to answer. And so that podcast has been a little bit neglected, but I think it's solid gold. And what are some of the issues that come up inside relationships around cannabis? Mm. Oh, goodness. So the easy one that people would normally think about is just cannabis in the bedroom and how cannabis can enhance someone's sex life and enhance the experience for a woman. A lot of times women will complain about painful sex and cannabis 
in the bedroom as like THC in a lubricant, CBD and THC in a lubricant even better, can be really helpful to not only enhance the experience, but also keep the pain and inflammation down. So that's like the obvious one. But a lot of other issues that came up with my clients that we ended up having to talk through would be, how do you tell somebody that you consume cannabis when they're sober and you're in a relationship with them? Or how do you talk to your parents about cannabis when you know it would be so helpful for them and Mm -hmm. you hate seeing the 20 pills on the windowsill in the kitchen. They're just big pharma out and you want to have a conversation about natural medicine. Mm -hmm. Even kids and cannabis, how do you talk to teens about it? If you're a parent that uses cannabis, how do you start that dialogue with your young children so that from a very early age, this prohibition bullshit mindset, they don't even know it. All they know is that plant medicine helps my mom or is helpful for X, Y, Z. And so it's not something that has to be sneaked around. You know, those are the sorts of things that make kids be more curious. You're hiding something from me. I want to know more. Right. So how do you not hide it? And how do you create new dialogue around it? What's the vocabulary that we use? All of those things are relationship oriented where you have the trust component That is one of the bigger pieces of the foundation. And those are the people that you can change their mind. If you trust someone and they introduce a new idea or new concept, you're way more open to hearing it. So I like to empower people to know how to articulate their feelings around a subject that has been in the closet for so many years. Yes, and I can say as well, I took the time, actually, I listened to a couple of those episodes. I really enjoyed them. And what I really enjoyed was how frank you were about yourself in the midst of it all, in your own life, in your own choices, which I think really helps a listener. I will admit it, the first time I had the experience with cannabis, my mind almost automatically went to the sexual side. My attraction to it was when I was with someone else, it allowed them to be a little bit freer. So... You could actually express a thought without maybe worrying about the repercussions, which you are less inclined to do when you're completely sober and a little bit tight. Even just the ability to communicate openly where you can actually express a thought, an opinion, or something that you like or don't like, it seemed to facilitate that communication. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Because it shuts down that judgy part of our brains and it opens us up to deeper forms of thought and communication. We're able to connect different dots in different ways. And it's sad when I've had somebody tell me, my partner can't look at me when we're having sex or my partner wears a t-shirt when we have sex. When we first started talking about the relationship piece and I mentioned the lube part, Mm -hmm. that's just the logistical, functional part of it. But the actual smoking a vape or a joint beforehand, that's that part where you get to start opening up conversationally and talking about what you like and what you don't like or just being more free and to just be. And so then layering that with a lubricant is absolutely fantastic. And a woman benefits from that way more than the man as far as the lube part goes. The vagina is the most absorbent part of our bodies. And so that also, I'm going to be your cannabis lifestyle guide right now. That's also why it's ultra critical to make sure you know where your product comes from and that it has a certificate of analysis and you know it's free of pesticides and heavy metals because whatever you're absorbing of the THC, you're absorbing everything else. And that is definitely not a place where you want toxic shit. Just one quick thing I wanted to say when you were talking, and I'll be brief because Harry, I think, wants to say something here. To me, what you said, predominantly advantageous to the female in terms of the physiology. However, mm-hmm. and I say this for both genders, if one side is enjoying it more, it stands to reason most of the time anyway, if not all the time, that the other side's going to enjoy it more as well. Amen. 
Now, I just want to follow that up because in terms of my experience of having sex with marijuana, which is not extensive, <laughs> but it's there in my past, I felt that if I overdid it on the toking front, if I took too much, I found that I was more asleep to the experience. I wasn't as awake to it because I was too baked. Yes. So it's possible to do it too much. And there's a kind of a balance there that has to be struck in terms of how much you intake both parties so that there's a kind of an equal awareness and awakeness in the experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing that I tell people, there are three keys to having a positive experience with cannabis. Mindfulness, microdosing, and your willingness to experiment. Mm. And what you just touched on is the microdosing component. Because if you flood your endocannabinoid system, you can numb yourself out. You can completely numb out. And that, of course, makes the experience not quite as enjoyable for anyone. So there is something really beautiful about the mindfulness component Mm. when you are with your partner. Having that ritual of rolling a joint or smoking together, and not everybody's on the same page. It's one of the things that I always recommend is if someone's a cannabis lightweight, then Make sure they have a CBD joint or a low THC joint and you smoke whatever yours is. You can enjoy the experience together, but do it separately based on your own sweet spot. And that allows you to have the ritual and still meet on the same level playing field when you get going. Individual customization. Yes. Whether it's recreational or therapeutic or both, what we do know is that a lot of adults in Canada choose to use cannabis. They weigh the costs and the benefits, and they make a reasonable and rational choice to use cannabis. It's well over half of Canadians across their lifetime, and about 20% of us in the past year. This is Harry and I on Friday, March 12th. We're having a cup of Hockley Valley coffee. Oh, yeah. Listen to some quiet jazz. Mm-hmm. And we've been high for about an hour now. An hour? Only an hour? Only an hour. <sighs> wow. Feels longer to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Also, we should say that we're high. All we did was one toke each. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Not- there's something different in the weed that is around these days from my youth. Because when I was young, I could do three or four tokes, no problem, right? I'm wondering if the quality, if it goes down, that's what you get, is only one toke. It just feels like it's not what it used to be. Maybe I'm just being an old fogey, you know, but... I find this extremely mellow. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is mellow, yeah. I feel pretty much able to do anything. Yeah. I don't know that I have the desire to do anything. Right. In the same way. But I know that I'd be capable of it. Yeah. But it's really, for me, it's really Mm. clearing the space. Yeah. This is beautiful behind this talking, isn't it? If I were a listener and I heard and if I wanted to listen to the bit of the music in a way Mm. as they were talking, I would get this lovely thing happening in the background. It is beautiful. and I wouldn't be wouldn't be difficult to hold the, hear the whole podcast with this thing flowing in the background, right? Just the thought, but you know, to realize that is another thing, right? No, but the thought basically there's no limits. There you go. <laughs> That's the spirit, matey. There's nothing. There's nothing you can't try. No. It's a beautiful no. piano. It's gorgeous. I love this group. Swedish group. What's, it, what's their name? Ebbs? Eggstrom something? Uh, I wouldn't even Svensson, but I wouldn't Oh, yeah, even... Egg, Eggsbert, Eggsbert Svensson Trio. They're called. You just launched MJ Relief, a product that you've been working on and testing for a few years that didn't even exist until now. Please tell us a little bit more about this product, what it's intended for, and some of the history behind it. Certainly. Yes, thank you for asking. So MJ Relief 
is a pet project that began back whenever I was living in Bologna, Italy. The M in MJ stands for Monica, and J is for Joe. And Monica is a PhD formulation scientist, and we met when she was working on a research project at the University of Bologna. And we became fast friends and found out that we both had an adventurous spirit. We loved to travel. We loved cannabis. And we were really into skincare. And I told her when she moved back to the States that she would find me living in California, working in cannabis, and that when she got there that we were going to create some wonderful things together. So back, I guess, four years ago, she and I started working on a muscle rub. And being in the industry, I was trying all of the products. I wanted to be able to be an expert and make good recommendations to my clients. And I just wasn't ever finding a topical that really knocked it out of the park for me. Either I didn't like the way it smelled, I have OCD, and so I'm really weird about the textures of things. And I don't like something leaving a film on my skin and or it didn't go anywhere, like it didn't have any glide. So maybe I liked it, but I had to use a lot of it. So I just told Monica, I'm like, here's the stuff that I like. Here are the ingredients that I really want in a product. And she came from Big Pharma and she knew skincare. She knew how to work with water-soluble compounds And so she just went to town and my massage therapist, who I lovingly refer to as Dr. Dre, I would take each of the samples to her and we were looking at, was the smell something that you could stand during an hour and a half massage? Did the product have enough glide so that you could use a little bit and it would go a long way? And did it work? Did it help relieve my pain? And so we found something, we came up with a combination that was perfect, and we just started batch producing it in my kitchen or her kitchen, and we'd make maybe 200 units at a time, and my parents would buy 10 of them up and store them away, and just friends and family, and for us. And both of us were spinning our wheels trying to build our businesses, neither one of us had extra money to launch this thing. And I just kept seeing more and more CBD products coming on the market that weren't as good as ours. And I just thought, all these people are making so much money and our product is better. Mm. And so in January of 2020, I had finally started an LLC, MJ Skin, and I identified a manufacturing partner. And in February, I put down... $30,000. I got a line of credit to get this company going and and get the products ready. And we were supposed to have product by the spring and then COVID happened and all the manufacturers shut down and I didn't get to launch the product until this spring. Hmm. So it was a really, really rough year of figuring out how to rob Peter to pay Paul and keep this thing going. But The product's out on the market, and it is like my baby, and I'm so proud of it, and it works like a dream, and it looks like something that I would see in a spa or in a hotel room, and I'm just really proud of it, and I can't wait to have great wholesale partners that want to carry it. That's Mm. wonderful. And you mentioned the financing side of it. How difficult is it for cannabis entrepreneurs to obtain financing from banks or or Mm -hmm. whoever for their products. Were there roadblocks to getting financing? Absolutely. And more roadblocks for me because I had been doing this podcast for so long and had been entrenched in the cannabis space. So when a banker would Google my name, all they saw was cannabis. And I'm sitting in front of them telling them that I am selling a hemp-based CBD product. Mm Mm-hmm. And so there was issues, number one, even getting a bank account. I got turned down by nine banks before I finally found a bank. Mm. And I ended up, my bank is in Florida, three time zones away from me. Right. And then merchant services, 
was a huge hurdle. Even though CBD is le- hemp-based CBD is legal in this country, the Farm Bill passed, we are able to commercially do everything with CBD just like a normal business. The banks and financial systems still treat it like it's under the cannabis umbrella. So when I went to get my merchant services, I was being assessed like I owned a cannabis farm. Mm. And it took a really long time. The entire process was between nine to 10 months of getting a bank and getting merchant services. Mm. Wow. Plenty of time for somebody to fold and quit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Think about that. That's something that most people can do in an afternoon. Right. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about the various uh, uses of hemp and hemp fiber that people might not be aware of? Oh my gosh. So I'm about to start a new segment on the podcast called the Sustainability Roll-Up, and it will be sponsored by OCB Rolling Papers. They're the first major sponsor on the podcast, and I'm thrilled to have them. But I'm even more thrilled to talk about sustainability every week because there are so many things that people just don't even have a clue that this plant can do. And I'm excited to showcase the things that we can be looking forward to. One of them being building materials. Hempcrete is something that's very easy to produce. It's sustainable, got great insulation, and it's really cheap to work with. Mm. And hemp can be used as fuel Hemp can be used as paper. The Constitution of the United States was written on hemp paper. Clothes can be made out of hemp, and hemp is an amazing addition to the kitchen. It's amazing plant protein. It's a superfood. You can smoke it. The CBD in hemp is amazing for inflammation, and they're actually starting to really focus in on the other cannabinoids within hemp. So you're starting to get some more diverse medicines and products coming out on the market that are hemp-based, but that are using hemp-based CBG, which is cannabigerol, the parent cannabinoid that CBD and THC come from, mm-hmm. and the Delta-8, which Delta-8 is going to be, it's very interesting. I'm going to go on a tiny tangent. So the farm bill says that hemp is legal. Well, so all these other cannabinoids can be bred into hemp more, just like back in the day, people were breeding the CBD out of the cannabis to breeding up these higher THC numbers. So people can do really crazy things to manipulate the plants. Mm. So there is now more focus being put on the Delta-8 cannabinoid because that one has some psychoactivity. So even though it is from hemp, it's less than Delta-9 THC, but Delta-8 does have some psychoactive effects. But it comes from hemp, and because they haven't written any laws that are a little more detailed, that means that you're going to start seeing a lot of hemp-based Delta-8 pop up on the market. Oh, sounds to me like it's a podcast all in itself. So we have a lot of Canadian listeners. Speak very briefly, if you can, about affiliations and friendships that you do have in Canada. So my first connections were when I went to Calgary, and I actually was working on a pilot episode of Casually Baked, the TV series. And that pilot episode is exploring Calgary. And that was going to be kicking off in 2020, but then COVID happened, so we couldn't. So I have some friends there that I really appreciate that aren't in any particular cannabis business that I could shout out. But the people that really helped me get a lay of the cannabis space there. But Lift & Co. is a great company that if someone is looking for cannabis education, or ways to engage with the various dispensaries. I think they call them cannabis stores there. But yeah, just rewards programs, way to be social around cannabis. That's L-Y-F-T, Lift & Co. I am friends with Stewart Farms. They are in New Brunswick, and they've just rolled out a line of cannabis-infused bath bombs and teas. And what's really cool about that is that the products that they've rolled out 
mimic the terpene profiles of specific cannabis cultivars like Trainwreck or Blue Dream or Bubba Kush or something like that. So that's really fun because it helps people learn and understand more the power of terpenes and not only the cannabinoids like THC and CBD, but the terpenes are the essential oils, so to speak, of plants. And they show up in cannabis, but they also show up in other fruits and vegetables and plants. And so, again, there's so much to learn about cannabis and different companies that are shining lights on different aspects of it really help educate the public. And I think Stewart Farms is doing a good job of that. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you a more personal question. What was your first experience with cannabis like? And how do you view alcohol in this entire picture, either your own consumption how it relates to your experience with cannabis, what your thoughts are in terms of society's views and so on? Well, I will say that my first experience with cannabis was not very exciting. It was in my boyfriend at the time's car outside of the Cheyenne Cattle Company in Wichita Falls, Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute, I'm going to put some music behind that. Um, But the one thing that I did notice early on was that I just wasn't using cannabis the way my peers were using it. Mm -hmm. I would puff, puff, and then have no problem passing in the circle and letting them pass me by. And I would always get pressured, like, come on, you didn't take a big enough hit. You're not high enough. Mm. And I'm like, I'm perfectly high. I feel great. I don't want to mess this up. And... I will say, if we talk about transitioning over to the alcohol piece, the older I get, the more adversely alcohol affects me when I wake up the next morning. So I can have a glass of wine now and wake up feeling like I drank the whole bottle. To me, it's just so not worth it. There's not a ton of redeeming qualities about alcohol. I pretty much just drink wine. I don't drink mixed drinks and things like that anymore. But I really lean on cannabis way more. I call it my afternoon reefer recap. When I'm winding down in the day, when most people go to pour a cocktail, I load a bowl and just process my day. Go back over what happened. What were the conversations? What are the things that I need to follow up on? And really just have like this internal dialogue with myself about the quality of my day and my experience. Mm -hmm. And I understand that people that drink a cocktail at the end of the day to unwind, I don't think they're doing that exactly the same way as I am. So I just think cannabis can really be, well, like I said, it's my co-pilot. And I think it can really help people get a handle on what's happening in their life besides allowing them to just relax and unwind. And one of the things that I talk to a lot with my parent clients is trying to find that transition space Hmm. from having alcohol in the evenings to replacing it with a cannabis substitute. And in places like California, where we have a more advanced and robust array of products on the market, you can have a drinkable. You can have a beverage and make a mocktail that has 2.5 milligrams of THC, which would allow you to drink maybe two of those or three of those and Mm -hmm. still get that same feeling that you get from your consumption of alcohol, but you just feel way better and you wake up without any of the negative side effects that alcohol gives you. Mm -hmm. It sounds like to live a cannabis lifestyle, if I can use that term, means balancing and figuring out where it fits into your life, how it fits in, quantities, what do you relate it with, what do you have it with, when do you have it, that sort of thing. Which leads me to the question of, in terms of your own personal experience in the past year of COVID and the stresses and strains and anxieties of it, Have people who are living a cannabis lifestyle had a different kind of take on what's going on or have they been able to kind of withstand the stresses and strains of the past year any better or what have you discovered there? Well, I think that's an interesting question and I actually just read that during 2020, 
the alcohol and cannabis industries both saw growth years, and there were $3 billion in taxes collected on cannabis, $1 billion of those in the state of California alone. So that tells me a lot more people were leaning on cannabis during COVID. Mm. I will say from my own experience, I live alone. I work in this studio and I live in an old Victorian that has six units in it. There's not very many people around me at all. So for most people, it could have been very isolating, very challenging. And I feel like it was the biggest growth year of my life. Mm. Financially, it was shit. It was so hard. I lost 70% of my income and I was not eligible for any service or handouts from the government. And so it was really, really tough. I consumed way more cannabis. I did way more yoga. I took up Qigong. I started doing more intentional energy movement work. And I just think that when your back's against the wall and there's not a lot of options for company besides yourself, I'd rather be with high me than drunk me. (laughs) (laughs) Before we close here, Joe, first of all, both Harry and I probably could ask you another dozen questions because this is really interesting. In fact, before I say any more, Harry would actually like to ask you something. Yeah, I've got one more question for you, Joe, and kind of to wrap things up a little bit and get philosophical and stuff. One of your favorite life lesson quotes, I understand, is do it or don't, but do. What does that mean for you, that phrase? Oh, yes, that is my favorite. For me, it comes down to that jump and the net will appear. So many times you want to do something. You want to say something. You want to take a leap. And I just see so many people living their lives with regret. And that's just something I'm not willing to do. I think regret is the most useless thing in the entire world. And so for me, do it or don't but do is this idea of, Go for it. If you want it, ask for it. If you want to be it, become it. This life is yours. One of my favorite West Texas phrases is, it's your rodeo. I'm just riding in it. You know, like we're all the center (laughs) of our own universes. And so just taking the tiger by the tail, the bull by the horns, you know, that's what do it or don't but do means. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? It doesn't work. You try something else. And I fail every single day. Mm. I have failed and been rejected more than any person I know. And it just builds this resilience. I'm not afraid of the word no. I'm not right. afraid of being rejected. And whenever I said that Italy was the best gift I ever gave myself, mm. one of the main reasons for that was that I went to a country that I didn't speak the language and I didn't know anybody. And so just communicating, just Getting home from the grocery store was a challenge. Sure. And so it made me appreciate so much the fact that I could communicate and ask for anything I wanted when I got home. Mm -hmm. And before I would be in a boardroom with 12 or 15 people and I would be nervous to hold space and speak up. And when I got back from Italy, I thought, this is the easiest thing ever. I can say anything to anybody. Yep. And I do. (laughs) Well, but the thing is, is that you come to the determination or the realization that often we are our own blocks. And and we're worried always about what people think, and most people don't care. Or at least they don't give it any kind of weight that you give it. Anyway, I think what you're doing is so important, not just from a cannabis perspective. It's from a female perspective, from a children's perspective in terms of education, education versus censorship, which I think is one of the biggest ailments that exists on a global level. Absolutely. Before I get carried away here, tell us about any events that you have coming up, any websites that you want to mention, podcasts and so on. This is your moment. All right. I want to first just add one thing on to what you were just saying at the end. And it's our job to wake up and be happy every day. Mm. And whatever we need to do to get our energy up 
that's our responsibility. We are responsible for the energy that we bring into a room. And, you know, people that are looking for that outside of themselves, they're looking for that in a job or in a partner or from their parents or from their government. Yep. This life is your responsibility. And so, yeah, that's the thing that keeps me going and gets me excited. And cannabis is a wonderful co-pilot to get me there. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I'm most excited about right now is people are starting to come up out of the haze and the world is starting to open back up. And I am inviting people out to the wine and weed country of California to let me be their host and cannabis lifestyle guide in person. Mm. I'm starting to book trips through the summer and the fall for either someone doing a solo adventure or a small group. And, you know, whether or not that's somebody that's interested in the cannabis industry and they're wanting to learn more about particular parts of the California cannabis industry. They want to see an actual working farm. They want to maybe meet distributors and make connections. I'll be meeting with those types of people. I booked one just a couple of days ago with a woman that is in North Carolina that I do cannabis lifestyle sessions with. She's coming out here for a solo trip. She's wanting to just have a little getaway in the wine country. We're going to go on some hikes and check out some cannabis farms. She's interested in the cannabis drinkables because those things aren't an option for her. And so, yeah, I'm just to me, there's nothing better than being able to walk alongside somebody that lives that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I'll invite people to get up at five o'clock in the morning with me and do my morning meditation and qigong and consuming my morning cannabis and getting my mind right. And so it's going to be a really fun thing. And it's going to give me an opportunity to reconnect with people because I've been a hermit hidden away for so long. And I'm an extrovert who's normally traveling all over the world all year long. And so I'm ready to be with my people again. We need to do another podcast on this because there's just <laughs> yeah, so much sure. information and so much to cover. So to close off for today, Joe, tell us about websites and contact information for you specifically. So to keep it super simple, you can go to casuallybaked.com and there you will find Every episode of the podcast I've ever done, you'll find in the store. I actually carry MJ Skin Relief in that store. Although if you want to go to that site specifically, that's mjskinrelief.com. At Casually Baked, you can onboard into the Cannabis for Wellness lifestyle. I've got educational tools videos. You can get on the mailing list. And I've broken down the cannabis class resource guide that is available for sale in the shop. But I broke it down into some bite-sized videos because people's attention span these days is next to nothing. So yeah, anything that you wanted to know to just kind of get going on the world of cannabis for wellness, you can do it casuallybaked.com at Casually Baked on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And the Casually Baked YouTube channel is a great place if you are interested in seeing the live streaming episodes of the podcast. And I also have show and tell videos that I've done with California cannabis farmers on there. Wow. Super. Joe, it's been a pleasure. Huge pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, we will have to definitely meet up again. I feel bad because I'll start talking about something and I'm like, <laughs> this is opening the, a whole other can of worms. <laughs> we, we turned your crank. We took you out of isolation in your little room there and <laughs> the floodgates were open. Of course. <laughs> totally. Just, thank you very much again. And uh, we'll touch base at some point in the future for sure. Absolutely. We'll continue from there. All right. That sounds wonderful. Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you, Joe. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Ciao. Ciao, Eric. Ciao, Peter. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to The Sill Podcast.